Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Thriving Podcast uh, podcast and uh, Thriving Adoptees podcast, even. Um, so today I'm joined by uh, Jason uh, Jason Weber. Um, uh, great to have you on the show, Jason. Thank you for making the time to, to, to come on today. I'm really looking forward to, to, to getting into this. As I, as I explained to you at the top, just briefly now, uh, I've been going through some call center trouble for the last 30 minutes, and I was thinking... I need to get off this call with this call center and get onto the conversation with uh, Jason. <laughs> and it's going to be a lot more fun than listening to some tinny music on hold and wondering why the staff, yeah, why they haven't got more staff. So, um, Jason, please introduce yourself and, um, uh, and, and, we'll, and we'll get into the show. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good to be with you, Simon. Thanks for the chance to talk to you. Um, uh, Jason Weber, my wife and I, my wife's name is Tricia. We've been married for almost 25 years now. And we uh, started out when we were very um, young and naive and didn't know a thing uh, as foster parents and uh, know barely more than we knew then, but we know a little bit more. And, uh, and 25 years later, we have adopted uh, our five kiddos. Fantastic. Great. And when I say the words uh, thriving adoptees to you, what, what does what does that mean to, to, to you, Jason? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, uh, to me, I feel like um, a thriving adoptee, uh, I think, is someone who is um, just actively pursuing uh, an understanding of uh, who they are, where they come from, and where they're going. Uh, it's not a, a um, it's not someone who's ignoring the things of the past or feeling a sense of shame about <laughs> things in the past, but is actively wrestling with that. And I think that goes in peaks and valleys. You know, I um, have talked to adoptees who, uh, you know did really well with that um, and, and felt like they were in a really good place and then later really struggled. And I think it can be tempting to say, oh, well, that person's not thriving. I would say, no, they're moving forward. They're, they're processing through the things that um, come with that territory. And if we are actively engaged in that space and thinking through those things, I think um, that's when I see uh, that's, that's when I see it'd be healthy. I actually do a, a podcast as well where we interview uh, adults who were in foster care uh, as children. And uh, one of the things um, that, that uh, we're always looking for is someone who, um, not that they have it all figured out, but someone who has taken some time to process through their experience and what that means uh, for their present life and for their future. Um, to me, that's that that's what thriving looks like. That's yeah. what healthy looks like. That's um, that's a great that's a great uh, view. Yeah, a great perspective on it. Um, for me, the 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 key thing was somebody that's moving forward. Mm. You know, and um, th that that was what really stood out for me from what you just said, because um, there's ups and downs. You know, life life for everybody is up and down. Yes, it uh, is. <laughs> and, you know, uh, as uh, you know, if we're uh, uh, one of my mentors or coach, uh, one of the most influential people in, in on my journey, um, she's she says, uh, if we start the, our, our calls, I don't speak to her that often these days, but um, I, there was a time when I spoke to her a lot. And um, we start our, our calls by talking about being OK. And he, she says, well, if we're OK with not being OK, we're yeah. always okay. You know, yeah. we've got this, another mentor of mine talks about emotophobia. So we're, mm. we're trying to banish the bad feelings and then we go to, we kind of, we go to war with the bad feelings and that, and, and, and whilst we're warring bad feelings, the, we're, we're, we're perpetuating the war mm. rather than going towards peace. Um, so yeah, I love the idea that this is about this is about moving, moving forward, mm. keeping going, you know, keeping going. So, can you tell us a little bit more about your 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 story and um, and the story of your, your your wife and the five 
the five kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, when we, when we started out, we, we started out actually working in an inner city community um, uh, and um, we were in the ministry and our goal was to work with children and families that were in um, hard place and uh, work with local churches in those communities. And uh, what we found as we began working in the community that we moved into uh, was that over half the kids that we were working with on a weekly basis had been touched by foster care at some point in their lives. Wow. So we were in our early twenties. Um, we're working with these children and families. We're, we're figuring that out. And we decide that as just a practical matter, we were going to become certified as foster parents at 25 and 26 years old. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know what it's like to be, you know, certified to, to do adoption or foster care um, in, in England. Uh, but I imagine that there's a lot of paperwork like there is here. Yeah, lots of paperwork, <laughs> lots of hurdles. Yeah. 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 And so uh, and we fill out a lot of papers. One of them that was uh, <laughs> significant for us and our story was, you know, there's a list of, of things that children may have experienced and you have to go through that list and, and indicate whether you feel like that's something you could handle um, as a potential uh, foster or adoptive parent or something that you don't feel like you could handle. So uh, this uh, child, a child that has a hearing impairment, yes, no, or might consider a child that has experienced physical abuse. Yes, no, or might consider you go down the list. Uh, I don't remember all the things we checked um, as 25-year-olds, uh, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know of two things we did say is, hey, we're new at this. We've never parented. We don't know what we're doing. Uh, let's do one at a time. Let's, you know, no, no sibling groups. We're just, we're not ready for that. Um, and then the second thing was um, they asked about med major medical needs. And we said, you know what, that, uh, I don't think so. I don't think, I think there's probably doctors and nurses and physical therapists that could be foster parents that they they would be equipped to handle major medical needs but it'd be you know super stupid and dangerous to put kids with medical needs in our care we don't know what we're doing and <laughs> uh, and so we get a call from our social worker and she says you know we have these preemie twins uh, for those of you keeping track that's more than one person uh twins and so uh we have these preemie twins they've been in the hospital for three months they were on oxygen they are, they are on oxygen they will be on oxygen for up to 18 months they've been in the hospital um uh like well like i said they've been in the hospital for three months they were 10 weeks premature born under two pounds one of them had open heart surgery at 11 days old and almost died um they might have cerebral palsy but we won't know that until they're two years old what do you think Wow. And I'm kind of thinking, I'm kind of thinking you didn't read my paperwork is the first thing I'm thinking. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but, um, but as we, uh, we thought about it and we're, we're, we're people of faith. And so we uh, really wanted to pray about whether that was something um, we felt like we could do. And, you know, I guess the bottom line answer is we felt like, no, no, it's, it's not something we can do, but um, but we did feel assured that, you know, that uh, our faith in God, that God yeah. would uh, enable us to do things yeah. that we don't feel equipped to do. And so we said yes, and we um, brought them home. Uh, and that was a three and a half year journey. And, and, you know, many children, as you know, who go into foster care, they, they can't find always want to work towards that unification ever possible. Um, but uh, but in this case, they, they needed to be adopted at three and a half years old. And so we did that and we continued on in foster care for 10 years. We saw some kids come and go, but we ended up seeing five uh, stay in our family through adoption. And so we have, um, we have five kiddos now ages, you know, those twins are now in college, uh, 20 years old. Um, and we have kids age range 20 down to 11. So right. four girls and one, one man child right. who's 12. Who's almost as big as me? <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow, that's that's amazing, isn't it? That's amazing. Yeah. At first, I thought they hadn't read our paperwork. Well, I, I, and um, yeah, and and that and that higher power, that higher power being there and and getting you through that, getting the, the, the for you something that you you didn't think you could do on your own. That's in, that's incredible. Um, yeah. Wow. So. 
Um, you were very modest at the at the top of the uh, the story, saying that you know you didn't know you didn't know anything, and you you haven't really learned much now. But I'm I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm sure. Well, I've got a lot to, uh, let's say it this way. I've still got a lot to learn. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, this is the thing, you know, um, I think one of the, because, you know, I've spoken to a lot of adoptive parents and I've spoken to a lot of non-adoptive parents and non-foster parents. And what one of the things that always strikes me is how uh, curious and modest they are, mm. you know, um, and they're open. They're kind of like they're open, like they're 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 open to listening to podcasts. They're mm-hmm. open, they're open to seeking help, and they're open to new ideas. And and they seem to me and to be far more open and far more proactive than what should we call them? I mean, biological parents, non-adoptive parents, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever you call. Um, and um, so I often try and do a put, pay a little tribute in the podcast to to you and and the, and the listeners for that because i don't think that as society we're really kind of we're all a little bit too modest and we don't kind of recognize our own strengths it's hard to see it's hard it's hard for us to see the picture when we're in the frame um so i, I like to give a little shout out you know just to say you know thanks for listening and thank you to you for being so open coming on the show and for obviously everything that you've done with those five kids that need and continue to do. So, um, but you, you, you said you, you've learned, you haven't learned a lot, but you, but I, it's, well, what, what, what is it? What, what, what to the main, well, you know, what are some of the main things that you've learned because the purpose of the thriving adoptees podcast is to, is to help mm, people yeah. up, up their own learning curves where they can, you know, and uh, where we can, where we can do that. There's an inspirational piece and the story of a, a couple that weren't going to do this and weren't going to do that and then did that and then come through and the kids are at college. You know, that's, that is truly inspirational. Uh, I love to add the empowerment piece as well by um, helping you share what, what little you you modest chap <laughs> i don't say chaps that sounds very british isn't it i should be having all right you are british so yeah. i think yeah, 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 I should be saying. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so um yeah what what would you what would you like to, to yeah. share? yeah well i you know i think some of we've learned a lot about um trauma and the impact of trauma on um, on children, you know, I, I think historically the narrative sometimes has been, oh, you know, kids who've been adopted, they have sometimes behavioral issues or they have, you know, this or that or whatever. And I think, you know, I've seen the narrative change uh, over the last 20 years uh, where people are much more careful usually with their words and being more accurate. And it's, and it's because it's not adoption that is the source of those kinds of things. It, if those things exist, it's, it's generally because of, of trauma that yeah. children have experienced um, in their lives. And so we've seen that the impact of that uh, firsthand uh, we've seen it manifest itself in, in, in many different ways. I mean, you know, it's cliche to say, but true to say, you know, every person's different. Every child's different. You know, you hear parents say all the time, you can't parent to, you know, any two children the same way. Um, that's uh, certainly true uh, in adoptive parenting and the way that trauma, past trauma affects and impacts a child um, and affects them emotionally, affects them behaviorally, you know, it's different and it's been different, you know, through our five kids, um, but it's real, it's, it's real. And it doesn't mean, you know, what we've found, what we've learned is that understanding that so many of the things that when I have a, a kiddo that is um, seeming defiant about, um uh, about going uh, up to their uh, room in a thunderstorm and, and, and this child is angry and being disrespectful. Um, that uh, that's, 
you know, the first inclination is just to say, no, go to your room to go to bed, do what I said, because I'm the parent and you're the child and you're supposed to be respectful and, you know, but realizing that that, that, that anger is often coming from a place of fear, that there's real fear. And thankfully I have a wife who's able to, to say, hey, that, you know, just we're, we're seeing fear here. We're not seeing, we're, yes, it's manifesting itself as disrespect. And, and, that, and what that doesn't do, and this is the mistake I think we make is we say, well, if I, if I acknowledge that it's coming from a place of fear, then, then we become passive, uh, permissive parents that we're gonna just let kids do whatever they do um, and say, well, it's because of fear. So we can't discipline them or we can't, you know, um, correct them. Uh, and, and I think that, no, that's not it at all. But when, when we, we, we do have to help our children correct behaviors that are not appropriate. Um, but when we understand the source of it, when we understand where it's coming from, when we understand that the behavior is coming from a place of fear or insecurity, uh, it helps us to have empathy. And I, I, you know, if I could say we've learned one thing of parenting five kids over the last 20 years, it's um, empathy is so important. If you have, if you can develop empathy for your child and where they're at, uh, it, it makes you a much better parent. If you, if you begin to see everything your child is doing as just defiance and disobedience and, you know, all those things, and you have no empathy for where they're coming from, it makes it miserable for both of you. And so that's, that's one of the big things we've learned. Yeah. Um, could you break that? Could you break that down at all? Maybe some stories or, uh, you know, this isn't this isn't uh, this isn't one of those shows that is like an audio version of a web page. Ten ways to build empathy with your child. <laughs> those that kind of like clickbait fodder stuff. I don't know how you know, and it never works. But the the newspapers are full of it, aren't they? These days, you know, the newspapers are re in the here in the UK anyway. A lot of it is recycled, especially at the weekend. The lifestyle sections are just regurgitations of lists of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, uh, that I'm sure all seems like really sensible, but nobody actually takes, nobody implements. Um, and um, so we're not about parenting techniques here, but I'm just wondering whether you can bring it, you know, expand on that empathy side in a way that kind of think that the, the listeners might find. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I think one of the things for us is, is, trying we do best as parents when we're taking in a steady diet of teaching um, and your podcast would be one example of that when you're putting yourself in a place where you're experiencing hearing stories from other adoptive parents from uh, adoptees from professionals in the space a steady diet of that stuff I don't know you know uh, <laughs> I assume this is probably true for a lot of people. You know, we, we go to conferences and I think conferences are great, but we go to conferences where you learn, you know, some of these things and you learn how to have empathy for your kids and you learn some of these things. I become a really great parent for about two and a half days after I get home from the conference. And then, and then I'm back. And, and what I found is it's the steady diet that actually makes the biggest difference. I'm, you know, the, the conferences are great, but uh, you know, if I'm listening to podcasts, if I'm reading books, if I'm, you know, that always brings me back to knowing the things that we need to know. Um, I, I think just practically one of the things we've found is, is, is now to be a listener and it's not just being a passive listener like you know hey if my child comes to me and expresses some fears or anxiety that I will listen that's that's certainly part of it but I think there's a sense in which we have to press in with our uh, adoptive kids and um, and really ask uh, you know we, we had one time this is not this is not necessarily related to sort of um, you know pre-adoption trauma but it is you know there there are certainly correlations here one time we uh, I guess we're on a thunderstorm theme here a little bit, but one, one of our daughters, one of our twins that I mentioned earlier, who's now 20, uh, when she was in, you know, first or second grade, um, there was a, we lived in a place and there was a tornado that had come through and it was a little traumatic because the tornado was coming really close to where we lived and we're 
you know, getting in the pantry and putting cans outside uh, <laughs> so they were not flying around, you know, all, all that stuff were, were, were sort of a panic moment. And, and so that was the, that heightened, you know, this sense of, you know, stress and all those things. But then that storm didn't hit us, but it did hit nearby neighborhoods. And one of our kids' uh, teachers, um, their neighborhood was hit. And so my wife said, hey, I'm going to go and, you know, as a, you know, I'm going to be a good parent and I'm going to go and I'm going to take the girls there um, to help them understand what happened. And to, we're going to, we're going to go and see if there's anything we can do to help. And, you know, this is a good parent thing to do. We're building in them compassion and empathy and understanding of other people's needs and how to meet them. <clears throat> so they go to this neighborhood and it's, it's a little bit of a, a war zone. There's, you know, trees down on top of houses and there's all, all this stuff. And, uh, and, and, and so, you know, the, the girls being like first or second grade that they'd never seen anything like that. It was, it was fairly traumatic for them to see, you know, know that their teacher, you know, their, their teacher's house was generally okay, but you know, there, there were, they did see trees on top of houses and all this stuff. So, you know, we never put these things together, but, um, but, but what we did know is that every time that a thunderstorm would come or it would start to rain, uh, one of our daughters would get very anxious and she would be very nervous and, she wouldn't want to be outside. She would want to come in immediately. She, she would just really struggle um, with that. And um, we went to speaking, you know, going back to that, you know, it, it was this went on for years. We went to one of those conferences that we were talking about earlier. And one of the things they talked about is uh, really diving in when your child is demonstrating a fear to help them tease out what it is that they're they're afraid of. And like I said, we never linked that, uh, that initial experience in that neighborhood with the trees down with her fear. Uh, but it was starting to thunder and rain. And um, my wife decided to apply what she learned at this conference. And she started asking questions. And she said, what's, what, uh, how do you feel right now? And she would say, well, I'm, I feel nervous. Why? Because it's raining and it's storming. Okay. And then, and then, you know, just, it, it, it can sometimes be enough to just say, and why does that scare you? And, and then you can, and then answer and you say, and why does that scare you? And you get down into concentric circles. And as she asked that question several times, um, got down to the center of it. And, and it came back to this experience in the neighborhood with the storm, with the trees down on the houses. And we realized that's where that started. And she was able to talk it out. And the crazy thing, Simon, was <laughs> at the end of that whole, probably took, I don't know, 40 minutes to talk through all of that. At the end of that, she said to my wife, she said, I feel better. Can I go outside and take a walk in the rain? And we were like, what? <laughs> what do you, you know, so that was her. She'd, she'd gone through this process. She'd been listened to. She'd been encouraged. Somebody had pressed in a little bit and helped her sort of think through and talk through these feelings. So it, it went for her from the sort of irrational fear realm to this, I can articulate why I'm afraid. And now I'm going to go face my fear and I'm going to go out and walk in the rain. And she did. And she went out and she walked in the rain and, and she um, has experienced very little anxiety about storms since. Now that sounds like a, you know, Hey, it's one, <laughs> one 45 minute conversation will fix everything. That's not, that's not sort of normally how these things go, but uh, I think it is an example of what it means to press in and to really listen to our kids. Yeah. Yeah. So it was um, what, what strikes me is that your, um, your, your daughter discovered her own solution. Yeah. You know, you didn't, your wife didn't tell her anything, you know, no. I think one of the, uh, one of the things that comes to my mind is like, I heard this years ago that educate comes from the Latin educare. Okay. And educare means to draw from within. And mm. um, it's, but we have a picture of, education as like well it's different now but you know like a victorian victorian view like last century view in here in the uk is trying try to like shove information into people's heads yes and and and, and rather than draw it out of them 
Yes. So um, that that is kind of like it, it's more like a kind of a, a a coaching approach. So at the top of the call, actually, what you you did this naturally. You you asked me about five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten questions, something like that, um, about the about the show, the aims, the audience, the content. And you did that completely naturally and maybe, maybe, maybe without thinking about it because you're a guy that asks questions because you know that if you ask questions, then you kind of, you're going to draw the information out and you're going to use that information to, um, to steer what you steer yourself through, through our interview together. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it, that kind of coaching coaching would you call that a coaching approach what i mean what uh yeah i certainly you know i wouldn't have said that maybe but i I, i've come across even in the last week some coaching material where that kind of approach is encouraged but i that's you know to me that is question asking is um the most important part of being a good listener um you know sometimes we think of being a good listener as just being willing to not talk but I, i i think I think it's more than that. I think it's the the willingness and the and learning the the uh, the skill of asking questions, and it is a skill that you you learn over time, and you have to learn. I you know I love what you said about the the Latin root of the word education. Um, you know I I read a book oh, twenty years ago, um, and it was talking about um, the process of learning and how it works, and it said something that I have I think about um, all the time all the time and we develop a lot of content and, 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 and create environments for people to learn. And, and, and this is what it said. It said, people remember what they say much more than what they hear. And there's research that backs some of that up. People remember what they say, not what they hear. And so when we create learning environments, whether it's professionally or whether it's in our family, um, we have to be really deliberate about creating environments where the participants are allowed to talk. Because if you, if you were to go to somebody and they were to sit in a session and, and, um, and it's a discussion group kind of thing. And you said, what did you, you know, two weeks later, you go back and say, what did you learn? It's likely they're going to point out something, some observation that they made during the session and spoke out loud. They're going to remember that as the thing they learned. And so I just, I really believe that that's, um, a really great way to approach parenting, a great way to approach relationships um, and, and professionally is yeah. getting people to, to talk because that's where I think learning happens. Yeah. Um, it's interesting you say because that you, you're talking about a book having an impact on you year, years later. The first, one of the first books I read in kind of personal development um, was um, Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the first mm. habit, I think, no, second habit is seek first to understand. And, mm. and, and it, it's, it's all the same. This is, it's all on the same theme. Um, it's about understanding questions, empathy, list, active listening, and all that really great stuff that also is one of the, you know, that's a huge part of the relationship, building the relationship. I was talking to um, an adoptee who's uh, like an adoption coach now um, last night, does similar kind of work to me. And he was saying that that's the the number one thing is um, in in overcoming trauma is, is the relationship that's built between the the adopted parent and, and 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 the child that's that's what it is and if if, it, if if it's about relationship it's about empathy it's about understanding um so um yeah these are all intertwined things and i guess most parents are adopted parents foster parents are doing this anyway we're just are we, are we maybe just asking them to do it a little bit more consciously, a bit more intentionally, or we're not asking them. We're saying that doing it a little bit more intentionally may be, may be a, 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 a systems may help, help the adoptee thrive. Yeah. I think it's, you know, I think it goes back to that steady diet. Like you can hear something, but it's good just to be reminded, you know, most of the stuff adoptive parents and foster parents, 
at a certain point, you get to the place where you're not learning new stuff. You're just re being reminded of the stuff that you've been told before that you just need to re-implement. Even as I'm talking to you, I'm realizing how have I done in the last several days at, um, at asking questions of my kids, uh, of, of teasing that out. I mean, you get into life and you're just concerned about getting your 20 year old to their, their job interview, helping them, you know, get paperwork submitted for the, the upcoming semester. And you, you uh, lose sight of that relationship piece that you were just saying. And, and so I'm even sitting here going, huh, I, I wonder how I've done in the last week at um, really engaging with my kids and asking them questions. And so I think that's a reminder for, I think these kinds of conversations are reminders for all of us to just return to that thing that we already know we need to do, but sometimes it's hard to live out every day. Yeah. Yeah. I guess also what we're doing here is we're um, because I'm a, you know, I, I'm, av I'm an avid learner, even at uh, 54. I'm a, you know, I used to hear that phrase lifelong learning. I thought, hmm, that's not for me, but it is for me now. <laughs> It is for me now. You know, most of us weren't really um, engaged at school. Uh, I, in learning this stuff, I'm like a thousand percent engaged. You know, I'm, I, I'm learning about how the mind works, learning about empathy, learning about consciousness, learning about relationships. I am totally hook, line and sinker. You got me. So, um, well, can I, can I, can yeah. I want to say, you know, I think it's really interesting. You said that you, uh, lifelong learner, that phrase, it, it was like, oh, that's not for me. And, and I think, I think you, that is the crux of the, this, the, this whole problem is maybe we have an aversion to that phrase because of what, how we've defined what learning is. If learning is sitting in a group of 30 people and listening to somebody talk at us yeah. for an hour, then yeah, I don't want to do that for my whole life. Like, but if learning is a curiosity and engagement and a conversation and exploring and, and hearing different perspectives. And then that's fascinating. That's, that's, and so, so I think part of it is just redefining what, what we mean by learning. I totally agree. And um, it, it's also, it's also for me about relevance, you know, I couldn't yeah. see the point, you know, I, I couldn't see the point. I couldn't see the point of, Latin, for example, and here I am. I just told you about educare. So there you are. Um, <laughs> this this is the thing. The most, the biggest thing for me is that it is when we uh, when when we catch how we've. Well, the big, biggest thing for me is when I catch how wrong I've been. You know, when I I I uh, I, I burst out laughing at, at, at how stupid I've been. Like. Now, I opened the conversation ranting about the uh, uh, the call center, the bank call center, you know, I think. Well, right. Why, why, did, I did, why did I feel like I had to get that off their chest? It, 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 did, it, did it start us on a downer? Did I illustrate my humanness? You know, it's, it's a strange one. But um, if, we want, <laughs> if we want our kids, if, we, if, if kids do what we do, this is a, a truth that I keep on hearing and, and it keeps on resonating. You know, kids, kids do what we do, not what we say. So... If we want our kids to be curious, um, empathetic, emotionally intelligent, um, cur curious, interested in learning, lifelong learners, if we if we want them to be like that, then we need to. We're the leader, so we need to go first, and we need to mm. role model it. Yeah, for 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 them. Um, that, I guess that's a secondary thing, but it, it, it's from a from a primary perspective. What you're talking about is, and so true, being reminded of the stuff that we've already learned. You know, are we saying anything new? No, you're you know you're mentioning something you read 25 years ago. I'm mentioning something I read 20 years ago. We all know this good stuff, but we're just reminding and and tweaking, and, and maybe we can take that next opportunity when we're driving our uh, kid kiddo to the um to the to the job interview or whatever to to do that you know um uh, to, uh, to to play this out yeah yeah because because knowledge doesn't change our lives it's the application of knowledge that does right yeah, yeah just knowing something makes very little difference for anybody but once when we apply it and we apply those things on a regular basis that's when that's when life change happens and when we apply it and we see it 
when we apply it and when we see it working. So if we're, if we're watching something that we can't see how we're going to apply it, then, then it, we're going to be turned off by it. If we can see how we can apply it, we're going to be curious about applying right. it and see what, see, seeing what happens. And if we see what happens and it works out, then we're going to kind of do more of that, aren't we? We're going to, and, and, and we're going to adjust, we're going to fine tune um, our, uh, we're going to fine tune our approach. So whatever the whatever we're looking at, um, that's uh, yeah, that's what it's all about. So it's a it would I guess we're all we're doing is gen we're gently pointing the listeners back to their own the stuff that they've learned in the past. Yeah. Mm. Is there anything else you'd like to share on the on the on the the, the thriving thriving adoptees theme? What what you've or maybe. What doesn't work? That's I, I, I sometimes like to ask that. You know, what didn't? What didn't? You know, what would you have done differently? Um, but whatever, whatever ways, I try to give you a few options. Um, and I don't know why I'm doing that because you're uh, obviously a highly attuned, um, uh, emotionally sensitive, passionate individual. So I, I guess I'm just giving you a bit of time, time to think about mm -hmm. what would be of most interest and most use to the, to the listeners? Well, I think, you know, I think one of the things that we um, have really tried to do and have done it better at certain times of our lives than others, and it becomes, you know, there are seasons of life where this is harder than others, is, is connectedness with our kids. You know, ultimately, we believe that being, you know, having connected, what do we mean? You know, sometimes these terms, they, they, they feel um, squishy, you know, like, oh, you know, it just feels so ethereal, right? So, yeah. so when we talk tree about hug. being, uh, so, I'm sorry, tree, tree hooking. Sounds yeah, cool. right, right. We talk about attachment. We talk about connectedness. Okay. Well, I, you know, I used to be like that. I was, oh, you know, tell me something real. Okay. So here, you know, here's how I would, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think attachment it, it, to me is about trust building. It's about a child uh, having a need and then knowing that they can depend on someone to meet that need. When they cry, they will come. When I'm hungry, they will feed me. When I'm hurt, they will pick me up and they will soothe me. Like that's the, those acts over and over and over again, uh, build this, this sense of this, this, that builds that attachment. It's just, it's just trust building. And with some, you know, attachment gets used as a word and it sometimes gets put thrown in the psychological pool of you know the psycho babble and all this stuff but it's it's trust building and that's what we seek to do with any relationship it's what we seek to do in marriage it's what we seek to do uh, in friendship is is trust building we, we we when somebody else needs something we can be dependent on to to help to be there to respond right and and so th that connectedness um is something that sometimes we have to really work at and sometimes when you know we found that uh you know it was easier to work on those things when we, we had two kids and 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 nobody else and we could really focus on making sure that all those needs and all those connections were made and when we started when we went to three kids now you know at that point we still had very little kids that were twins. And then we add, you know, another kiddo to the mix. And, and, and now it becomes just a little bit harder to have the time to, to do that, you know, do the things that create connectedness. And so I think looking back things, you know, I think there are times where we would say, Hey, it's time to cancel some stuff. It's time to, you know, all the activities are great, but are we creating space and time to really meet our kids' needs, to be face-to-face -face with them, to connect with them um, in a way that, because that explained, um, like if you come across a, a, a field of tall grass and, um, and, and you, you, you wanna get to the other side, you, one person walks through and, and so some of the grass has now been um, batten down a little bit and maybe the next person that comes might see uh that that there's you know somebody's been there before and so they kind of go that same way well a hundred people later you have a path <laughs> 
and, and are, um, you have a path. And so anybody that comes after that knows the path to the other side of the field. Cause it's, it, you know, that path has been, well, our brains work very much like that in terms of creating neural patterns. So that's how, uh, you know, our children's brains are, are become wired based on, I have a need and it got met that burns a pathway in my brain that says that I'm, I am valuable. I am seen. I, somebody cares about me and will meet my need. And so um, we have to work hard at trudging through those fields of grass with our kids and making sure that those neural pathways are built and we're connecting with them. And we could have done better at times at that. And that would be one thing that I would look back and go, you know, I, I would have loved to have spent more time doing that uh, at times. Yeah. The thing that you talk about the neural pathways and I'm thinking back to the trauma um, trauma stuff is that the kids' brains, from what I can remember, the kids' brains are far more plastic than ours. They, they change more. Yes. So um, uh, this, the, the mixing the metaphors, but the, uh, the, the, the grass gets, how does, the, how does that affect the grass? The grass gets fatter. <laughs> the younger we are, the faster we flatten the grass on the tracks. Do we? Is that kind of how it works? I don't know. I, can't. I think. Yeah, I think. I think for. I mean, that is the good news of all of the. You know, trauma has a profound impact on people. Um, the very good news is neuroplasticity is the ability for the brain to um, for us to create different paths that we don't have to keep you know, uh, on that same path where trauma creates this response, we can do a, a different path, a different way that doesn't include uh, rattlesnakes on the way, right? So, um, so it's the ability to, to create new paths, I think is where neuroplasticity really comes in. Can I ask you a thing? Because trauma, the trauma stuff is, I find it's an incredible, um, incredibly fascinating subject for me. Um, can, can you mention being a, uh, a man of faith how, how do you see kind of like faith and trauma mm. does, does how do they how do they how does uh, i've got an idea on this but do you do you ever do you, do you see them relating to one another faith and and trauma mm. like faith heals I, I mean how do you see that yeah that's that's a great question I do. I see them very interconnected. I mean, I see, um, you know, I mean, I believe that when we, um, we are created with the ability to choose um, thing, the things we do, the things we say. And we all know that there are things sometimes we do or say that are better than other things. Some, thing, some things we do or say are constructive and build others up and build ourselves up and make a co positive contribution to the world. And some things we do and say, um, destroy. Uh, and, you know, in, in, in my faith tradition, um, the things that we do and say that destroy, um, that's, we call that sin. And, um, and children who've experienced trauma um, have have experienced things that have destroyed. Uh, it's not their fault. They didn't do it. Somebody has done something that has in some way hurt them and, 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 and uh, created some kind of destruction a little bit in their lives. So whether that's neglect or abuse or exposing them prenatally to alcohol or drugs, like those are all things that um, have created destruction. And and so uh, when something is um, destroyed by uh, those kinds of choices or sin and as in my faith tradition, um, there, are, there are things that heal that stuff. Um, and uh, I think one of the, um, you know, some of the things that heal those things are forgiveness and grace and empathy. Those kinds of things can begin to heal uh, those things. And so we lean in, into that, that, you know, actually when we hold bitterness about the things that speaks to maybe adoptees, um, you know, when we hold bitterness about the things that were done to us, that led to us needing a different home than, you know, than they came from, um, 
it, it the, the 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 one that that does the most damage to is 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 the person themselves is the is that person it's not it's not the person that you know holding that bitterness doesn't really do anything to the the person that inflicted the damage yeah. <laughs> right yeah yeah it, it is it is actually most hurtful to the person who's holding the bitterness so okay. forgiveness is 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 legitimate i'm not saying it's easy to it's very difficult and and it can be very difficult to forgive uh, but that is the i believe um that is the way forward that is the best way forward now some people find forgiveness very hard and and uh i found that it it is um easiest to forgive others when i experience um forgiveness and i and i in my relationship with god have experienced forgiveness from uh, him yeah. and so only having you know having experienced that forgiveness of my own choices that i've made that have not been helpful have been destructive to myself and others uh, only only coming to grips with that um and, and experiencing that forgiveness is allows me to forgive others um and when I forgive others, then I've, I've, I'm free. I, I become free yeah. from uh, a lot of that bitterness that is really harmful. I, I, I love this. I love this stuff. I love this subject. Um, uh, and are you okay for a little, a little while to, to dig into that a little bit deeper? Yeah. yeah. Sure. Um, I um, first thing, first thing first is uh, that you know, just drawing a few things together. Like we all have a choice, but I, I think that most of us aren't choosing. Mm. most of the time you know we're mm. not we're, and, and so if we're not choosing it's not our fault you know it's not mm. it, 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 it's not our fault something uh something from the past our conditioning something from the past is, is choosing for us you know like um yeah our conditioning and that's uh we're kind of like as as adults we're pretty good at beating ourselves up so anything that we can do mm-hmm. to forgive ourselves you know like we're off the hook we're not we're, i'm not talking about being off the hook for some strange actions you know what I mean? but i'm talking really about the, the i guess the little stuff the more of the little stuff um mm-hmm. so most of us aren't choosing most of what we what we think or, or feel most of the time you know um and um we but we're told that we need to control how we think and how we feel and that just kind of maintains the civil war in our head you know when we just want we just want peace and I, for me it's that the peace is the the peace the healing is in the the healing is in the is in the peace um and um the other thing that popped into my head was um have you heard of a book called power versus force by david hawkins no yeah i haven't he, he's got a he's got a scale of human consciousness created mm. a scale of human consciousness and it's from naught to a thousand and the great religious avatars are a thousand. So Jesus, Buddha, um, they're a, a thousand. And zero is dead. Uh, shame is 20. You know, you talked about shame. You mentioned the word shame a couple of times. But um, anything that, you know, using your definition of, of, of sin, anything is life detracting is below 200 on this, um, uh, on, on this scale of consciousness. And above, uh, anything above 200 is life affirming. Um, and so it's a kind of, for me, it, 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 his, his sub, his um, subtitle to the book of Power Versus Force is, is the hidden determinants of human behavior. Mm. And, and, and for me, it's, it's a kind of like a masterclass into the, it looks at these different, um, it looks at different emotions and looks at shame and anger and, 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 and where we are on that scale of consciousness is, is going to determine how we, you know what we do in any in, in any situation so i thought that was really interesting that when you're talking about life detracting um and 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 sin interesting to put two things together one from a science maybe scientific you know kind of approach and put that next to faith but i think for me it's that that because i'm not a man of faith but that's it's the spirit it's the spirit that heals it's that it's the stuff it's the unconditioned soul it's the it's the love it's it's love that you know you're clearly driven by love you're coming from love the, the love is the foundation for all the empathy for all the gentle coaching for all the connectedness for all the um connection that's where you're 
that's where you're coming from. So that's, to me, that sounds like that's the ultimate superpower. And I mm-hmm. hear a lot of people in the, um, I know a lot of people in, in the uh, fostering adoption industry saying, thinking that, well, people think love is, love, it, it, you know, love isn't enough. Well, it's the prerequisite, isn't it? And, and for me, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, and I'm, yeah, I, because th- this is really controversial, but you, you, you said it first. So, I, I <laughs> so, but in this space, uh, yeah, um, people often say, you hear it all the time, love is not enough. And here, here's what, here's my response to, to that um, statement is, I, I actually do think love is enough, but I, I think that I think that the problem we're having when we when, when you have two people saying those two different things, I think it's it's actually a difference in definition um, of, of what love is. Um, I think okay. I think that I think definitionally um, love is often seen as um, emotional affection. Um, and and mo- emotional and physical affection that I feel something towards someone that I um, show that through uh, affection through gifts through you know kindness through you know, all those things but that it's but that it is largely um, so that when we say we love a child um, we're, we're saying we're, we're affectionate towards them we're you know however I you know in, in my faith tradition and, and I um, you know, the basis for my faith is, is uh, the Bible, the Holy Bible. I'm a, I'm a Christian. And when I read uh, the Bible uh, and I read uh, the different passages about what love is, um, it's not described in emotional terms. It's not described in affection terms. It's described in action terms. You know, there's, there's, there's one um, portion of the New Testament that talks about how love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It's, you know, these are, these are uh, you know, very actionable things um, that define what love is. And, and love really is defined as um, acting in a way that's best for another person, regardless of the cost to oneself. Acting in a way that's best for another person, regardless of the cost to oneself. So if that's the definition of love yeah. we're working with, then I think we could say love is enough. Like if we all just acted in a way, because when I think about my kids, if I'm going to act in a way that's, that benefits them, regardless of the cost to myself, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that hugs and teddy bears are going to heal them. I'm saying, no, that if they need therapy, I'm going to get them therapy because that's what they need. If they, you know, if they need something, I'm going to give it to them because I, I am committing to love them and do what's in their best interest, regardless of the cost of my, oneself. So to me, it's a definitional problem about how we define love. Uh, not that love is not enough because I believe it is. Wow. Um, yeah. I love that. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I do love that. And um, yeah, it, I, I totally agree. And, and I've learned, you know, I, I'm a curious, I'm learning, I, you know, the definitional, definitional perspective, you know, it, it's like we all, we, um, we, we use, I think we all use these words and they're just like, you know, you know, love clearly isn't a buzzword, but something like, resilience is a bit of a buzzword and 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 we kind of like we we, until we get to that shared definition that we really can't have we can't really have a a a deep a a deep and meaningful conversation so um uh, and once we do then the, the the depth comes through and i'm thinking that's a really good that's really a really good place uh place to bring this in um but did want to give you I, I did want to give you a chance to talk about um, more than enough because I know that that's this is uh, so far we've been talking about your you personally but tell us a little bit more about what you're doing pr- professionally in this and this uh, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if would you even use that word professionally I don't know so. <laughs> yeah it was certainly um, yeah so um, I work with an organization uh, called the Christian Alliance for Orphans. And what, when the particular portion of it uh, is that I work for is called um, More Than Enough. It's our foster care uh, specific portion of, of what we do. And so um, what we've found is that um, 
the foster care system. Now I'm, I'm, I'm my focus and my, my organization overall is focused around the world. We have member organizations that work all over the world. My specific job is focused on United States foster care. Um, and one of, you know, the, the two words that have come to define foster care in the U.S. and potentially, you know, foster care uh, there as well um, in, in Great Britain are not enough. Uh, there's not enough resources, not enough support, not enough families. Those are the two words. Anywhere you go, if you do a, a, a Google alert for foster care, you're going to see articles almost every day where somebody in some local newspaper is talking about how there's not enough foster families. There's not enough, you know. Um, what we believe is that actually uh, it doesn't have to be that way. We've sort of settled into that reality and said, well, we'll just try to do better next year than we did last year. But we believe that actually we've seen uh, when, when churches and organizations and businesses and government begin co collaborating, they can actually transform foster care in really significant ways. They can begin to move towards a place where their system will no longer be defined by the words not enough. It can be defined by the words more than enough. You know, in the United States, we often, uh, foster care advocates for decades, we, we spend our time, we get a chance to talk about foster care. We talk about the biggest numbers we can find. So we talk about the national numbers, how many kids are in foster care and how many kids need to be adopted nationally. The problem with that is, you know, we're, we're trying so hard to get people to care that we think that we have to convince them that here's a really, really, really big, important problem. And I'm gonna convince you that it's really big and important by giving you the biggest numbers I can find. What we say with more than enough is, you know what, those big numbers, they're big, but that's not a problem that anybody feels like they can do anything about. That actually, if you want to move people towards action, you have to focus on a community by community basis. It's like a paint by number. If I were to ask you to paint a horse, I don't know if you paint Simon, but um, most people, when I ask, they say, no, I could not paint a horse that anyone would hang on their wall. But if I were to hand you a paint by number and say, could you paint a horse? You'd say, yeah, I could probably take a crack at that. I could do that. And, and that's how we are approaching foster care is we're saying in our country, uh, we have 50 states, we have 3,142 counties that you know, make up those 50 states. And so we don't have one big foster care problem. We have 3,142 small foster care problems. And every one of those communities has the ability, actually already has the resources and the people and everything they need to get to more than enough. They just haven't been mobilized to do so. And so our goal is to do that. And we've recently written a book called Until There's More Than Enough, um, about foster care transformation. Now, it, it, you know, it is directed at U.S. foster care, but certainly has application anywhere uh, in terms of caring for vulnerable children. And really the focus of it is what does it look like for different organizations to collaborate and work together? Uh, you know, this is a space, I get it. Business has to be competitive. You have to try to be better than the other guy. But in this space where we're caring for children and families, we believe that uh, we can, we can, and should, and actually have to work together if we want to go from not enough to more than enough. And so, for anybody interested in learning more about that, the book, or any of the things that we're doing, um, you can go to morethanenoughtogether.org. Yeah. Okay. And I'll put a link. Obviously, I'll put a link in the show notes. That's uh, fantastic. I, I love the way that you've um, turned the turned the thing, the, turned the problem on its head. Have you heard of? Um, have you heard of uh, an organization called Comic Relief? Have you heard of them? Sure. Yeah. So they did the same, you know, so traditionally um, advocating and, and raising money for, 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 uh, for children's charities is about sob stories. Um, and they do, they do sob stories and uh, empowerment stories, and they, they mix the two together. Um, yeah. So they, they, they raise you up and then you, they take you down and, and uh, but they do it with this comic and they did it with humor as well. It is, it is they bring humor to it. Um, and uh, that's what changes, you know, when we change our, when we take a radically different approach, you know, so, cause I totally agree. It seems like a, a big number um, it, 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 and big numbers are mostly impressed, but big, big numbers. Um, uh, or what's the word? Um well, they scare us, don't they? Big numbers scare us. They, they do. They 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 immobilize us. Like 
you know, it's, it's, it's presenting somebody with, a, 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 I mean, we literally put a mountain in front of people and say, you know, there's, there's a really big problem here. And I look at the mountain and go, I can't climb that. Like I, you know, give me, give me steps, yeah. give me stairs, uh, not, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, not walls. And, and so that's what we try to do. Yeah. We said the, the, the you said the, you know, yeah. So paint by numbers on the horses. Right. So the other mm-hmm. thing, the other thing, the, 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 the metaphor that came to my mind, just as you just said, was, you know, uh, was one a kid's metaphor, like, how do you eat, uh, how do you eat an elephant one mouth yeah. at a time or something like that? So, yeah. Yep. breaking it breaking it down breaking that's how big down. problems always get solved in our society is is by breaking them down into small manageable parts um and then we can do our own we can do our, our bit and do our bit so yeah that's right thank you this has been a fascinating conversation i've really really enjoyed it and i've learned uh, i've learned a lot jason so thank you very much for, for taking the time to come on absolutely i've enjoyed it too thank you simon good on Bye-bye. See you again soon, guys. Bye-bye.